0: Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the Epistle to the Hebrews. We'll be discussing how Jesus Christ is the perfect and only priest who now mediates the New Covenant that has replaced the Old Covenant. And his ministry of the New Covenant is a more excellent ministry than the Old Covenant ministry of the Levitical priest. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, we'll begin our lesson. Good morning. Before we get started with our lesson, why don't I open us up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for today and for this group and the opportunity to gather and study your word. And as we continue our study of Hebrews this morning, I just ask that you open our hearts and minds to hear what you want us to hear and help us to apply it in our lives. And as we continue our study about the more perfect ministry of Jesus through the new covenant and how he is a mediator of that new covenant, help us to appreciate and understand What an awesome ministry and an awesome God that you are. We're so thankful for all that you've done for us. And I ask that you speak through me. Let it be your words and not my words. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so where we left off last time, we were in Hebrews 7. And we studied how Jesus is our high priest from the order of Melchizedek, from the line of Judah, And we were discussing how his ministry is different than the Levite ministry, the Jewish priest from the tribe of Levi. And we discussed how the Levitical priest in the old covenant law couldn't save us. It only showed us that we had sin and we needed a savior, but that Jesus's ministry for us is effective because Jesus was without sin and he offers a permanent forgiveness for our sins. We will continue on that theme today. So why don't I just start right in with chapter 8. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat in the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So he's saying the main point of this letter so far has been to show that Jesus is the high priest. That his high priesthood in the new covenant is a better ministry. And when Jesus finished, what did he do after he did what he came to earth to do, which was to show us how to live, live 30 years, pick 12 disciples, pour into them for three years, die and pay the penalty for our sins, be buried and rise again. And then where did he go? He went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when he sat down, he didn't sit down because he was tired. He was finished with the work that he had to do here. His work was finished, and Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, and that's evidence that his priesthood is superior to the Levitical priest who had to continually offer sacrifices. They had to continue to work. Their work was never finished, so they could never sit down. Jesus, when he finished his work, he was able to sit down in a high position of authority at the right hand of God the Father. Verse 2, it says, "...a ministry in the sanctuary..." and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. So Jesus is in a heavenly sanctuary. It's been built by God, which is further evidence of his high priesthood. He's not on the cross, and he's not in the grave now. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Hence it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. So when you look at the Aaron priesthood, the Levitical priest, at the time of this writing, they were probably still offering sacrifices in the temple. Even at the time of this writing. Jesus is our priest. We can't go to the Father or ask for forgiveness of our sins apart from Jesus. Jesus is the one that opened the door to enable us to restore our relationship with God, to reconcile us. Just like the Jews could only offer sacrifices through the Levitical priest, we don't need any other priest other than Jesus. Verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. So Jesus never served as a priest in the temple. We have no record of that. He now ministers in the temple that God built. The earthly tabernacle is nothing, and we'll see as we read, it's nothing more than a copy of the heavenly genuine temple which God built in heaven. The Aaron priesthood, the Levitical priest, could never accomplish what Jesus did, which was forgiveness of sin. Lots of religions and denominations, they still try to practice an ineffective priesthood. They try to add to what Jesus did. They try to say the priest give grace, impart grace to us. It's not biblical. Jesus' work as our priest has been completed. Nothing needs to be added. No priest can grant forgiveness of our sins or impart grace to us, like we see in some religions. Jesus still intercedes for us, and we're going to see that when we read on, and he stands as our helper when we need him, just like he did for Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Let me go over there and show that to you. Remember, this was when Stephen was being stoned, and it says in verse 55 of Acts 7, But being full of the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Jesus stood up from sitting at the right hand of the Father to accept Stephen as he died from the stoning. And Jesus is still serving us, even as believers. It's unbelievable. He's still there serving as our intercessor and our advocate, as we'll read. Let's continue on. Verse 5, who serves a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. And then it quotes Exodus twenty-five forty. here. It says, see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain." So God gave Moses the pattern for the tabernacle. It was like a tent and it had a court. It was a place of worship and sacrifice. That's where you took your animals to be sacrificed by the priest to offer and provide for a temporary forgiveness of your sins, but it was only temporary. The Levitical priest ministry, it temporarily covered sin which is a foreshadowing of a better ministry to come in Jesus that we're going to read about here where we can receive total forgiveness, permanent forgiveness unlike the temporary forgiveness from the sacrifice of animals. And this is saying the temple in Jerusalem was just a shadow of Jesus's heavenly sanctuary. It was temporary and it was later then destroyed in AD 70, but Jesus's sanctuary is in heaven, is in its eternal and it's permanent. So, Jesus' superior seat and superior sanctuary is evidence of his superior ministry of the new covenant. We're going to read about that shortly. Let's go to verse 6. But now, he, being Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been acted on better promises. So, we no longer need the Levi priest, They're not necessary. It says here that Jesus is our mediator and our intercessor, not Mary, not dead saints, not St. Peter, not St. Paul, not your dead grandmother who so many people want to pray to. There's no verses on that. This says Jesus is our mediator. Let me give you a couple of verses on that. Let's go over to Romans 8.34. I'll just go over there real quick. Romans is over to the left. Romans 8.34 says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and here it is, who also intercedes for us. So Jesus is our judge and our advocate. He's there serving for us. In fact, it even says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. So Jesus loves us, and he's advocating for us. He intercedes for us. So why would we pray to anybody else? Praying to anybody else is not biblical at all. Let me take you over to 1 John 2, which is at the very end of the New Testament, just before Revelation. And I'll just go over there. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus is our advocate. He's our interceder. That's who we should turn to. And let me give you one more. Go back over to Hebrews. In fact, we read this just a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to take you over to Hebrews 7.25. And we looked at this. It says, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens who does not need daily like those high priests, he's talking about the Jewish high priest, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did once for all when he offered up himself. This is just further evidence that Jesus is our high priest. We don't need any other priest at all. I'm going back over to Hebrews 8, verse 6. Mediator means stand between two people to bring them together. So his ministry is of the new covenant. The Levitical priest and false religions that have priests, they were all trying to reconcile people to God, but they're not effective. Jesus is the one who's effective. He is the mediator of the new covenant. The problem is with the people, not with the covenant or the law. And we're going to be discussing here the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31. In fact, it's going to be quoted here that's where it's promised that there will be a new covenant in Jeremiah 31 to replace the old covenant. In Jeremiah 31, it's promised that there will be a new covenant to replace the Mosaic law that had been written 600 years earlier. A couple of things before I go on with the text. The new covenant, as we'll see, there's several aspects to it. It was written by God. Number two, it's different from the old covenant. Number three, it's made with Israel that we'll see, although I'll discuss the church can benefit from it. Number four, it's not legalistic. Number five, it's internal, not external. It's not an outward religious sort of doing a bunch of things. It's not about being religious. Six, it's personal. Seven, it brings total forgiveness. And finally, eight, it replaces the old covenant and the law. Nobody was ever saved by the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Law. So let's go back to the text. We're in verse 7. It says, If that first covenant, which is the Old Covenant, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second or a second covenant. So the Mosaic Law, it had limitations. Now, it showed that we were sinners, it showed that we needed a Savior. But it couldn't bring permanent forgiveness. The Old Testament sacrifices didn't cleanse us of sin permanently. Verse 8, it says, For finding fault with them, meaning God has a problem with the people. It's the people. The law was good, just people couldn't uphold the law. So it says, For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. First of all, right here, you see it's God that does it. That's the first thing. When I will effect a new covenant. So God does this. It's not anything that we do. And it's a new covenant. If something's going to be new, that means it's different from the old covenant. So that's the second point. It differs from the old covenant. And we see, who is this new covenant with? It's with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember, when this is written, Israel and Judah... The two kingdoms had split. There had been a civil war after Solomon's reign as king. They were separated at this time. We had the northern kingdom that had 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and we had the southern kingdom that had two of the tribes. And what's really interesting, guess what? You remember when they were about to go into the land, when Moses was leading them through the wilderness, and they sent spies in to spy out the land? one representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they all came back, and 10 of the spies who represented 10 of the tribes said, no, no, we can't go in. The people there are too big. No, we should go back. No, we can't go in. And two of the representatives from two of the tribes of Israel, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, we ought to go in. This is the land that God promised us. God will protect us. We ought to go in. And they took a vote. And tribes of Israel voted, nope, we're not going in. And so they had to walk for another 40 years until that generation died. And then the second generation went in. So it's interesting that in the northern kingdom, they were the 10 tribes that didn't want to go in. And the southern kingdom was comprised of the two tribes that did want to go into the land. Very interesting. But God's going to bring them all back together in the millennial kingdom. God intends to reconcile them back together, all the 12 tribes of Israel, through Christ. We can see that in 2 Corinthians 5.19. I'll take you over there just so you know I'm not making that up. This is a promise that God is making to Israel. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So it's the world. Christ is going to bring Jews and Gentiles together. And he's going to bring back together the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'll explain that a little bit further in just a minute. It goes on and says in verse 9, Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. This is talking about the old covenant. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, For they did not continue in my covenant, meaning the Mosaic covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So this is a covenant that is made with the nation of Israel. This is not a covenant made with the church. The church is separate, but I'm going to show you where we benefit from that. The Israelites, they couldn't keep all the Mosaic law, and it was a covenant of law. It goes on, let me pick back up in verse 10. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts. So it's internal. It's not external religious stuff. The Mosaic law was written on stone tablets, but this is done by the Holy Spirit. It's true worship that involves your heart internally. It's not external rituals. It goes on, says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach every one his fellow citizen and every one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Let me clarify this a little bit. John fourteen twenty six. Let me go over and show that to you. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. John fourteen twenty six says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus talking, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who puts on our heart and helps us grow and mature when we allow that to happen. And as we read the scripture and study the scripture, the Holy Spirit opens our heart and mind to new understanding. It's a personal relationship with God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and teaches us. But now we have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit teaches us what we need to know. Now, there's going to be a time in the future when the land will be restored to Israel. Remember, this is a covenant with Israel. The millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, that's when these promises that are being made to Israel are going to be completed. The church, Christians, we will reign with Christ in that millennial kingdom. But Jews and non-Jews who make it through the tribulation, they place their faith in Jesus Christ. During the tribulation, they will then go into the millennial kingdom. And the primary purpose of the millennial kingdom is to fulfill these promises to the nation of Israel. Verse 11 continues, For all shall know me. So deep fellowship. It's an intimate personal relationship with God. It says, From the least to the greatest of them. So it's not by self-effort. It's 100% grace. And that's where we get our true peace because our sins are forgiven and our relationship with God has been restored. Verse 12, For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So there's total forgiveness. The old covenant couldn't do that. Only Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection could provide a pathway for us to be restored with God. And you see, it says, he will remember our sins no more. This is incredible. This total forgiveness. And one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 103. I'll go over there and read it to you. Psalm 103, verse 12. And it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is amazing. So this was written before anyone knew that the earth was round. And yet this works because the earth is round. Think about it. That's how far removed our sins are when we are Christians and have been forgiven. You know, if you start out going east, you will continue to go east. You'll never get to west. You'll just keep going east, east, east. Or if you start out west, you'll keep going west. You'll keep going in a circle, but you're always going west. So east and west, it means it's infinite. That's how far removed our sins are. If you went north, eventually you'd start going south. Or if you start out going south, eventually you'd be going north. This is incredible. And David wrote this. How did David know that the earth was round? Well, this is God speaking through David as he wrote this psalm. I don't think David really understood that. But clearly God knew the earth was round. It's just amazing. Okay, let's go back over to the text and we'll finish up here. It says, When he said a new covenant, He has made the first obsolete. So the old covenant, the Mosaic law, that's old. It's obsolete. That's the old model. It's been replaced by the new covenant. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. And what's amazing, in less than five years after this was written, the temple was totally destroyed. So there's no more Holy of Holies or place to offer sacrifices That old sacrificial system is totally gone. So the Jews today, they can't even fulfill or keep the Mosaic Covenant anymore because the temple has been totally destroyed. Where do they go to the temple to offer their animal sacrifices? It's been totally replaced. It's no longer valid. It's obsolete. Let me take you and we'll get there next week. Look at chapter 9. Just look ahead over to verse 15. It says... And for this reason, he is the mediator, talking about Jesus, of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, that means the Mosaic covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So we have eternal security by the work of Jesus Christ. Now, while this covenant is made, you see, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah in verse 8, let me show you where Christians become beneficiaries because of our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you over to Galatians 3, and you might want to go over there and look at that. Galatians is over to the right, just after First and 2 Corinthians, just after Acts and Romans. We're going to look at a couple of verses. First, let's look at Galatians 3 And I'll begin in verse 7. It says, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So do you see that? All the nations. That's the nation of Israel as well as the non-Jewish, the Gentile nations. All nations will be blessed in Abraham. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed by Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So you're cursed if you don't obey every single aspect of the law. So we all have a problem with God because we're all sinners. But God solved our problem in its grace through faith in jesus christ alone verse eleven now that no one is justified by the law before god is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith however the law is not of faith on the contrary he who practises them shall live by faith christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is every one who hangs on a tree in order that in christ jesus the blessing of abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So God imputed the righteousness to Abraham because of his faith, and now the Gentiles in the church receive blessings of the Abrahamic covenant by faith and God's grace without being under the covenant with the Jews. You see that? And then let me show you one more verse. Just skip down to verse 29, and it says, And you meaning believers, all men and women, all believers. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So Gentiles who have faith are considered the spiritual seed of Abraham. We're not his physical seed. There's two distinct seeds of Abraham, physical, meaning the Jews, and spiritual. But both will inherit the kingdom. At least the physical seed of Abraham, Jewish people who place their faith in Jesus Christ will also inherit the kingdom. And again, the only Jews that move into the millennial kingdom are those who place their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. Okay, so let me just summarize what we've read today. The Old Covenant and the Mosaic Covenant and the need for priests is over. It's been replaced with the new covenant, and Jesus is the only priest. Having priests that impart grace to you is not biblical. Number two, Jesus is our high priest, who offered the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Our debt has been paid for past, present, and future sins. For all believers have been paid. There's nothing more to contribute to our salvation by us. We don't earn it. There isn't anything that we can contribute to it. Otherwise, we're cheapening the gospel. We're saying Jesus didn't get the job done. He needs our help. His sacrifice was ineffective on its own to save us. That's what we're saying when we say we've got to do a bunch of sacraments and do a bunch of things in order to maintain our grace. Then we've got to go do things with the priest so he can impart more grace to us. None of that is biblical. Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest. And he sat down, his job was finished, he completed it. Nothing more to contribute to it. Number three, we've been given the Holy Spirit to help us and teach us. How awesome is that to have God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us, teaching us and have Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for us before the Father and advocating for us when we do sin. What a privilege and an honor to be able to go directly to God through Jesus, who is our mediator and intercedes for us. We don't need to be praying to Mother Mary while I hold her in very high regard and high respect what she did and accomplished and the abuse that she probably received from others, verbal abuse. And ridicule because she was pregnant and they thought she was pregnant because she was pregnant out of wedlock because she became pregnant with Jesus before she and Joseph had come together she was a virgin and I'm sure there were lots of people that really looked down on her because of that the penalty for having sex before marriage was death was stoning and so I'm sure she went through a lot and I hold her in very high respect But there's nothing in the Bible that says we are to pray to her or that she intercedes for us or that she is our Redemptress. Jesus Christ alone is who intercedes for us and who redeemed us. We should have tremendous peace and joy knowing what Jesus has done for us and has accomplished for us, and it's completed. Because of that, we should pursue Jesus with all of our heart And we should pray that the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us and help us become more Christ-like and help us grow in our personal relationship with the Lord. What an awesome God we have. What an incredible plan to redeem us that Jesus has brought forth as he ministers and mediates the new covenant for us. What an awesome God. And so we'll come back next week and pick up with chapter 9. Thank you for joining us today. Larry, would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.